We're in Acts chapter 15 today. Let's just pray as we come to look at God's word. Father, we thank you for your word and for this record in the book of Acts. And we pray that as we look at it today in this term, uh, that you would speak powerfully into our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, there's been a book written recently by a well-known theologian in Australia. And the title is this. The cross is not enough. The cross is not enough. Now, this fellow who wrote the book, he's a great, well-known theologian, but I hate the title. The cross is not enough. I suppose we'd have to actually read the book to figure out what he's saying. I'm sure he's making some good points. Friends, as we come to the scriptures today, we're going to see the danger of trying to add things to the gospel. There is a great danger in trying to add things to the Christian message. The Christian message is perfect. The gospel is complete. It doesn't need anything else. And when we try and add things to the gospel, it actually becomes defunct. So the question we're asking today from Acts is, does the work of Jesus need additions? Does the work of Jesus, the cross work of Jesus, does it need supplementing? Or is it complete in itself? So Acts chapter 15 is our text and we're going to step through the passage and figure out the answer to this question. Does the work of Jesus need supplementing? Firstly, from verses 1 to 5, we see the problem that Paul and the apostles faced. We see some men have come down from Judea in the Jerusalem region to Antioch, which was in Syria, and they're teaching the Christians there in Antioch that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Notice there in verse 2 that Paul explodes at this point. Paul and Barnabas are brought into sharp dispute with these false teachers, and they're appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and find out the answer to the question. So you might be familiar with the book of Galatians and with Paul's passion in the book of Galatians to get the gospel right. We see that same passion in this man here in Acts chapter 15. So in verse 3, the church sends them off and they're going up to Jerusalem. We notice in verse 4 that they're welcomed by the church. They report everything God's doing through them. But then in verse 5, uh, there's a sickness even in the church in Jerusalem because some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stand up and say the same thing. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So that's the problem that Paul and the apostles were facing. Then in the text, we get into the debate about the issue from verses 6 and onwards. It says that they met to consider this question and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter's referring there to Acts chapter 10 when through um, God's intervention, he was brought to speak to this centurion named Cornelius and both Cornelius and many Gentile people around him came to be Christians. Peter says in verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between them 
between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And then look at verse 11. He says, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are all saved, just as they are. So Peter here knows that it's not about the old Jewish works anymore, but that this gospel that Christ has brought in saves everyone, not through works, but by God's grace, through the grace of the cross, through the grace of our Lord Jesus, we will be saved uh, like anyone else, not by works. So the challenge is, friends, do we believe in that message? Do we believe that the gospel is for all people regardless of who they are, regardless of your race, of your financial status, of your personality even, uh, the gospel is for all people. Do we believe that and do we act in that way, that God's grace is for all people without distinction? So then we see the decision that the apostles come to from verses 12 and onwards. In verse 13, the apostle James gets up and speaks. Now, James was the brother of Jesus. In the Gospels, he obviously had some issues with Jesus at times, but now you get into the book of Acts, he is the leader of the Jerusalem church. So James, Christ's brother, gets up and speaks. He says, Brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself, he says the words of the prophets are in agreement with this and then he quotes the book of Amos uh, where it mentions God accepting the Gentiles and not just the Jews. And then in verse 19 he says, It is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. So essentially James has got up there and he's said the same thing that Peter has. He's agreed with Peter. It's by the grace of God that people are going to be saved. There's no need for segregations between nations anymore. The message of God, the salvation of God is for all people. But then James also goes on there, did you notice, and says something quite unusual. Uh, I'm not sure if you uh, have a weird friend in your life who says weird things or maybe you're a bit weird yourself sometimes. But what James does here I think is pretty weird because if I was going to get up and share the message of God with people, I wouldn't be talking necessarily about meat from strangled animals. Uh, but James says, the Gentiles are accepted. The nations are accepted by God. The barriers with Israel are broken down. Everyone may come to this one true God, but a couple of things, please. <laughs> abstain from food polluted by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from the meat of strangled animals. And abstain from blood. Now, what is this weird stuff that James is going on about? you might be tempted to think, hang on, he's just gone back to the law again. He's just gone back to a works-based religion. But no, uh, that's not what's going on here. We need to understand the first century context to understand what James is asking the Gentiles to do here. 
You see, in this first century world of Europe, there were temples, there were gods, many gods, fake gods, but many gods that they followed in these Greek religions and things like that. Temples, there were prostitutes at the temples and they believed that if they slept with the prostitute, the god would listen to them. There were animal sacrifices in these temples and the animals were killed in, in, in certain pagan, ungodly ways and then people ate the meat of these animals. Now, there's a couple of things that James is concerned with here. That if the Gentiles don't change their practices, that it's going to offend the Jews that if the Gentiles don't change these temple practices, that it's not really going to be living Christianity out. For example, sexual immorality, sleeping with a temple prostitute, that's not really Christian, is it? For God says, one man and one woman married for life. But also, eating the food polluted by idols, verse 20. Uh, we, we, we really... Um, if we don't want to offend some, we may need to abstain from this food that's been sacrificed to idols and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood, says James. It was about the, the pagan temple sacrifices that he wants them to move away from. He's basically saying to them, you, if you're going to be Christians, you can no longer live like the Gentiles do. If you're going to be Christians and you're... Christians by grace, that's no worries, but if you're going to be Christians, you can no longer live your old life. That won't be helpful, he's saying. And doesn't the same thing apply to us? If we're going to follow Jesus, our old sinful ways need to drop. When we become a Christian, our lives are meant to change. Paul says in Romans, we are meant to put our sin to death. We are meant to live a holy life. When we become a Christian, our life changes to be more like Jesus. We stop doing some of the old sinful things and we try to live God's way by God's help. What are you hanging on to from your past life that's still dragging you down? Ask the Lord to help you to get rid of it and maybe God's people as well. When we become a Christian, our lives are meant to change. So that's the decision from the apostles. They're all saved by grace, but get rid of some of those unhelpful practices that you used to do. Next, we see that the decision is circulated through the worldwide church. Uh, we see that uh, in verse 20. The apostles and elders, they decide to choose some people and send them around the Mediterranean to communicate this message of grace, this decision by the church that's been made on this day. They choose Paul and Barnabas and uh, a guy called Judas and Silas as well. You might remember Silas becomes one of Paul's great missionary companions. They send a letter with them and they send them out to report this message that they don't need to be circumcised, but they're all saved by the grace of the gospel. So once again, it's a challenge to us to ask ourselves, do we truly hold to the gospel of grace? 
I think by default sometimes we can slip back into works. Maybe we've heard the gospel at church, we understand the gospel of Jesus, but then by default we can slip back into into works-based religion. Maybe in your life you've had a bad day, you've said something you regret, uh, you've done something to someone that was wrong, and then you think that you're broken off from God, that God's not with you anymore, that he doesn't want you. Do you ever have times when you feel distant from God like that? I think that maybe, though, that that's us not quite understanding the grace of the gospel. For the cross and for our justification by faith, it says that we're saved. It says that we're complete. It says that we're righteous even on a bad day. So God is with us always. And even on your worst day, you've been justified by faith. So friends, we must keep understanding the grace of the gospel, even practically in the way that we live our lives. You might think you're distant from the Lord, but the gospel says you're as close to him as you could possibly be. You've been saved by grace through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith. That is how God looks at you. So the decision is circulated to the Mediterranean church here in Acts. And next in the passage, we see a couple of ironic situations, twin ironies in the passage as it finishes. Firstly, an irony of disunity. And secondly, with Paul and Timothy, an irony of circumcision. Firstly, an irony of disunity from verses 36 to 41. Wasn't Acts chapter 15 all about unity? Wasn't Acts 15 about Paul going up to Jerusalem and saying, hang on, we've got to be united around this gospel? But then Paul and Barnabas have a a lover's tiff in the rest of the passage. Have a look at verse 36 and onwards. Paul wants to go back and visit the brothers in the towns where he'd preached the word of God. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, the author of Mark's gospel, but Paul was cranky with Mark because Mark had deserted them in their first missionary journey. Mark had dropped the ball and Paul did not think it wise to continue with him in the work. Barnabas, though, we know is uh, the son of encouragement. He's the man of second chances. And so he wants to take Mark along, but Paul's like, dude, not a good idea. And Paul and Barnabas, this great missionary team, split and go their separate ways. Now, I think this um, disagreement here is kind of encouraging and kind of humbling for us. I think it's kind of encouraging because it shows us that even the great ones can come into conflict. Even the great Paul and Barnabas didn't get along sometimes. So maybe we should go easy on ourselves when we struggle a bit with conflict. But I think it's also humbling, isn't it? Because this shows us that conflict is going to be an ever-present reality in the church. Beware of it. Protect our church against it. Humble yourself before the Lord. Live as a peacemaker. Let us work against conflict in the church. We see here that it is an ever-present reality in a fallen world. So that's ironic that there was disunity and a big passage about unity. But the second irony, I think, is there's a circumcision 
when a passage in a passage that's getting rid of circumcision. Notice in chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, Paul moves on and he comes to some of the cities he's been to already, to Derby and to Lystra, where he was almost stoned to death, by the way. Think about the courage of this man. He finds the disciple called Timothy, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Verse 3, Paul wants Timothy to be part of his team, and so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area. Now, is Paul a man of double standards here? In one bit of time, he's going nuts at the Judaizers for preaching, you must be circumcised. And then in another bit of time, he's circumcising his disciple, Timothy. So is Paul inconsistent? I don't think so. I don't think this is Paul being inconsistent. The Judaizers were saying you needed to be circumcised to be saved. They're saying you need cross plus circumcision. You need Jesus plus you need to be circumcised to be saved. That's not what Paul's saying. The circumcision of Timothy has a gospel ministry purpose. You see, Paul is going to be all things to all people. He's going to go out to Europe and try and spread the gospel message. He's going to be speaking to Gentiles but also to Jews. And he doesn't want to give the Jews a reason not to listen to the gospel. So when Timothy gets up and preaches his first or his 20th sermon, he wants people to listen to him and to not be upset that he hasn't been circumcised like a Jew. So for Paul, it's not about being saved or the gospel. It's about serving people with the gospel. It had a missionary purpose. So friends, we've seen in this passage today, God accepts all people alike through the grace of Jesus alone. And this grace requires no human contribution or supplement. It's simply through the cross and the resurrection. We're seeing here in Acts God's gospel, his pure gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus for sinners, this gospel is not to be messed with. This work of Christ is sufficient by itself. Our faith must be focused on this work of Christ alone, the death and the resurrection of Jesus to save us. Nothing else is needed. And also this gospel needs to be clearly communicated now the title of this sermon is called the things which go without saying the things which go without saying need to be said we might think that saying i love you to someone it goes without saying but sometimes it needs to be said it's the same with the gospel we might think the gospel is obvious people should understand it We don't have to go through it all every time. But friends, we do. Because the things that go without saying need to be said. And that applies to the gospel. We cannot assume that people understand the gospel. We cannot assume that everyone in this room understands the gospel. Or in our life. And so we need to make sure we're speaking it clearly to people. Which is so much of what Paul was on about in his ministry. Friends, let me tell you what the gospel is. God made the world, a perfect world, and he is the ruler. We are sinners. We have rebelled against God, the ruler. 
and left without Christ, we will be judged by God and we would be sent to hell. But Jesus came to die on the cross to bear our sins. And so there is a response. There is two ways to live. To live with the crown on my own head as ruler of my own life or to live with God as the king of my life. Friends, this gospel message needs to be said, needs to be said in schools, in churches, in friendships, in families. It might go without saying, but it needs to be communicated. So let's understand the gospel clearly and let's communicate it clearly in our life. Let's train people in our church to teach it clearly and let's believe it for ourselves and for the people that we share it with. God accepts all people alike through the grace of Jesus alone. And this grace requires no human contribution. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of Paul and Barnabas and Silas. Thank you for their grasp on the gospel message. Please give us that same grasp on your message and help us to share it with many in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.